0: We, I think it's really important for us all to acknowledge who work in the space that NFTs went from this is the next big thing to is this a thing at all? And we have to, I think, go back to square, square one. And I think that really means selling the product uh, and experience vision um, and doing that alongside of the technical achievements uh, and, and really trying to bridge that uh, gap outside of, of the existing early adopters.
1: Today, I'm joined by Steven, uh, the CEO of Metaplex. Super excited to have you here, Steven. Uh, Really excited for the conversation.
0: Thanks, Logan. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: I am a big fan of your work. I think uh, what you have done at Metaplex and what the entire team has built has really pushed the entire industry and Solana specifically Uh, forward. So I think we're going to be getting into a lot of interesting topics, some of the tech uh, recent events around Solana and the entire ecosystem. But before maybe diving into kind of current events, can you just give like a brief recap for those that are not as familiar? What is Metaplex? What is Metaplex's role in the Solana ecosystem as a whole?
0: Absolutely. So Metaplex is a platform for launching and scaling NFT projects and communities on Solana. It launched in June, 2021, uh, right at the start of uh, Solana summer. Uh, And the first product that Metaplex offered was a full stack application for uh, creators to have their own NFT storefront. Uh, Fully open source. Uh, You can can think of it almost as a, a WordPress site that a creator could deploy. Uh, to to go directly to their audience. And I think at the time, that was really what we saw uh, as as the big opportunity in NFTs was unlocking the creator economy and removing these barriers and these gatekeepers that sit between the creator and their audience. Uh, And since then, Metaplex has grown uh, to become the base layer of the Solana NFT ecosystem. So um, all of the amazing brands and creators that you're familiar with on Solana use the Metaplex protocol to mint and manage uh, their collections, uh, and we've had you know the opportunity and the, and the good fortune to be able to expand the footprint of what we offer to no-code creator tools uh, as well. Uh, um, most recently, with our Creator Studio.
1: Amazing, amazing. No, I, I personally got involved. Well, in crypto in like 2017, but uh, really once DeFi summer started taking off on Ethereum in 2020 is when I started to get really interested in the space again. But it wasn't until on Ethereum uh, that NFTs really blew up that I started to take a step back and see how big NFTs were actually coming. And I, I think one of my big frustrations, particularly with the Ethereum side of things, was just how expensive gas fees got and i think in some respects it was great for the floor prices of those nfts but it really kind of priced out a lot of people that maybe wanted to experiment with the technology but that didn't want to spend 500 or a thousand dollars on gas fees could you maybe even like speak to a little bit of just like what your thought processes around like one like building on solana or kind of like choosing Solana in the ecosystem and some of the things that Metaplex is is trying to enable uh, either through the technology that you're building or just like being uh, kind of on a fast high throughput chain like Solana as well.
0: Absolutely. I've really been loving the only possible on Solana meme coming back because in many ways that was the core idea that started Metaplex and and what made us excited to work on the Solana protocol is that it solves the fundamental scaling issues with blockchains. And blockchains are really special networks and information systems in that they provide censorship resistance. And that's the reason to use a blockchain at all. But when you're limited by the, you know, by gas fees or a transaction, you know, that costs, you know, tens of dollars or hundreds of dollars during peak times, that dramatically limits the number of, of use cases. And so in the beginning, many of our first uh, creators uh, had come from the Ethereum space and were were frustrated with um, the the economic reality of building on Ethereum, uh, but also the lack of uh, open platforms that allowed them to ship and just just launch whenever they want to effectively be their own launchpad to be their own marketplace. Uh, There was also, I think at the time, Uh, frustration around uh, the way that royalties were managed on the Ethereum ecosystem. And one of the key innovations uh, with the Metaplex standard was actually putting that royalty information on chain, um, which has been a big part of of the success of the protocol and our ability to to bring economic value into the ecosystem, both for creators, but then the second order effects that happen um, across the community.
1: Yeah, it's it, it has kind of been like a fascinating journey, maybe like speaking specifically to Metaplex and the product offerings that you've created thus far. Could you maybe just touch upon like the journey of kind of the product suite that you and the Metaplex team has built out uh, one from like the beginning, uh, kind of launching during like uh, Solana summer to even uh, up to now?
0: Sure. So you know that first offering, that like WordPress install uh, site marketplace site, um, found some early traction, but in areas that frankly we weren't expecting, um, which was the the base layer protocol. So the token metadata program became this reliable entry point for associating metadata to a token, and that allows you to capture royalty information, as we discussed, but also all of the media uh, and attributes and traits that are related to. To that NFT, uh, but for creators, you know, we there was a sticking point, which was that in order to actually deploy their own site, they needed to find a developer. And so, like the meme for Metaplex in the early days was, "I love Metaplex, can you help me find a developer?" Uh, and I think that left us pretty unsatisfied that we hadn't really uh, fully closed the gap uh, and uh, helped reach creators where. Uh, where they are, and uh, and we were essentially requiring creators to go out and assemble their own development team. When really, what they're trying to do is build a community or put their digital art uh, on chain. Uh, and so, uh, through that, I think we've seen an emergence of a number of these no-code tools for creators. We have our Creator Studio, with our other ecosystem applications now built on the Metaplex protocol. And I think that's what's exciting about this next phase. And I think what will be a key driver of Solana Summer 2.0 is that the power of the Solana network, the power of the MetaPlex protocol uh, being available to anyone uh, without a developer, without the need for, for anyone else, any other partner or platform.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I think, I mean, as kind of engineers and product people, we love the tech and we're very early in a lot of these things. And I, I think me particularly, I get very excited about the pure technology, but at the end of the day, we have to focus on like those products and allowing people to use blockchains and like interact, uh, sign with their uh, private key and do things on chain. And I think exactly to your point, I mean, those no code solutions are ultimately the things that truly unlock kind of bringing the next 1 million, 10 million people on chain and uh, actually using blockchains instead of just like holding their cryptocurrency. And so they're, they're very powerful tools that kind of slowly get built out. Uh, but then once they're out in the open, uh, you can really do some extremely powerful things with them.
0: I think that's right. And I, and I think, you know, there's also another version of that, which is how we talk about the opportunity in Web3 to creators like there are so many amazing technology stories that are emerging within the community you know we have compressed nfts or CNFTs. we've got programmable nfts or p we have executable nfts or x nfts uh, we have tps um you know we have um, all of the amazing work that's done to scale solana uh, at a base layer with uh with quick and uh and with fire dancer uh, but i think In order for us to move from this early adopter phase into the mainstream, we need to start talking about the experiences that can be built, the businesses that can be deployed, the economic models that are unique to crypto and to building on blockchains. And I think that what we've seen is really strong product market fit around uh, profile pictures. And I think that frustrates people to a degree because we know NFTs can be so much more, but when you actually look at the economic data, it's like 90, 95% of the market are these profile pictures. And I think that requires us to go a level deeper, which is like, these aren't just right click save pictures, This is actually the emergence of decentralized social networking, where your identity, your membership within a community doesn't live in a Web2 database. It's a token that you own. That is cryptographically secured through your, through your own key pair, and that allows for the emergence of, of this world building. And I think that's really the fundamental con- concept of the metaverse: is the idea that your identity within these digital spaces is something that you own and can't be censored and can't be monetized by an advertising company or or shifted um, uh, based on the whims of you know an executive team that you know that that's sitting somewhere else and. I think we're also seeing then emergence and traction in other areas with digital art, with game economies, I think with, uh, with d Pin, we're seeing emerging product market fit. And so I think it's important for us to really talk about those businesses and economic models and really make that case aggressively outside of the crypto bubble and find ways to engage into the mainstream economy. Um, we, I think it's really important for us all to acknowledge who work in the space that NFTs went from "this is the next big thing" to "is this a thing at all?" That's and true. we have to, I think, go back to square square one. And I think that really means selling the product uh, and experience vision, um, and doing that alongside of the technical achievements, uh, and and really trying to bridge that uh, gap outside of uh, the existing early adopters.
1: Yeah, you you bring up a lot of great points i mean it's fascinating just seeing how large the market for nft profile pictures actually became but i I think we all or you and i specifically agree that this is just the very very early beginnings and even just looking at on-chain metrics of like how many active addresses are interacting with this it's still very early and i think the to your point like these web two companies that want to explore the technology have kind of been a little bit hesitant just because what they have seen thus far. What do you think, I mean, and I, I think some of this will ultimately, we'll get into later in the podcast. What do you think is going to be like the true unlock or uh, kind of new new thing that needs to come to light so that we can either bring more Users into the ecosystems or even bringing some like of these larger players in web two to kind of build and use the nFT format
0: I think as a starting point, it's really important that our blue chip collections succeed. I think the best argument that can be made to web two enterprises and to new creators that are on the sideline considering entering the space is seeing the success of a or is seeing the success of, of a mad lads that proves out the business model. It proves out the experience that there's value, that there's engagement, um, that there are people that are interested in participating in a meaningful way. And I think that means helping them develop these sustainable and repeatable business models, which is like the textbook definition of a startup. It's like discovering a sustainable and repeatable business model. And I think our blue chip collections are going through that process. I think one of the reasons why royalties was such a crisis is because it really was the only sustainable business model for these collections. And so much of our work was helping bring back royalties to the ecosystem while in parallel, helping develop these alternative business models. And I think we're starting to see those emerge in a meaningful way where you have trade swapping and upgradable NFTs, Uh, You're starting to see, you know, more rich gated experiences, uh, digital experiences, whether those are games or live streams or discord chats. Uh, You're starting to see um, uh, uh, you're starting to see physical goods and services where NFTs can be redeemable for for real world items or to give you access to real world events. Uh, and parties, and so I think that it's important for us to really support as a community the development and the discovery of those those business models uh, first and foremost. Then, as new creators come into the space, I think that you know the it, it seems simple, but the biggest problem that you can solve for a new creator is helping them sell out their collection, like. That's it. It's 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 like, that's it. It's like, it's a binary. It's like, if you're gonna, if you don't sell out your collection, the, the project more times than not halts. There are some good examples of like D-Rugs and like creators that have, you know, chewed glass, to like resurrect projects and kind of bring back that excitement. But that really means helping them build community and generate demand prior to the mint. And so I think there's a lot of good opportunity and product work that's being done on that side with like, whitelist management, uh, gamifying that experience. I think we're seeing uh, pre-sales become a more popular uh, technique for de-risking the initial mints. And then there's the set of tools that allow you to then drive engagement post mint. How do you continue the story? Whether uh, you know it's airdrops or uh, different types of mechanics or some of these other utility value propositions and making those really accessible. And so what I think what we'll see is the blue chip collections like Doing the first of, and oftentimes that is like scrappy with their own developers. Like they're kind of, you know, on the frontier testing out these new models and then platform companies that are pattern matching, pattern recognizing, and then building those into self-serve tools that the next thousand, ten thousand creators can then use.
1: Yeah, it's the, it's very interesting kind of how it all is unfold, has unfolded. I, I think, like I said earlier in the podcast, I was kind of shocked by how large NFTs really got in 2021. Uh, it really kind of took me by surprise. And I, I think what's been interesting now, if you kind of peel back some of the data, I mean, the number of transactions that people do, specifically in the Solana ecosystem, regarding like NFT transactions has remained relatively high compared to like Ethereum and some of these other Ecosystems, just like on a purely number of transactions, um, and it's been cool that like people are using the blockchain. And like to your point, I mean, on these earlier creators, ultimately kind of seeing them, uh, the playbook one on like building the community side from Mad Lads or even clanosaurs seeing what has really worked, and taking a lot of key learnings from that, and trying to iterate on that process to their own collection i do think i mean in terms of like nfts and a more broadly though it's been interesting to me just watching like how they're being used today and i i definitely agree like the pfp collection is majority of volume where do you think like nft kind of the format kind of continues to go like over the next year couple
0: years so this might not be a popular answer, but I think it's more PFPs I, okay. I, I really do believe that the community building process um, is will be the foundation of the digital asset economy and I think that's natural like we're we're social beings like what we're seeing is the social organization coming on chain. And that's actually really important. I think that's fundamentally important that the way that we socially organize in digital spaces can be censorship resistant and can be peer to peer. And so I think what PFPs will turn into is they'll become digital identities that become more sophisticated, more advanced. Um, you'll have applications where the account model fundamentally is a token, it's an NFT, Um, And what we start to view just as a PFP, just as a piece of art that you put on your profile photo becomes much more of a digital identity that underpins the social graph from which these other use cases will emerge. And so I do think that over the next one to two years, I would expect that PFPs and digital identities continue to be the headline for the NFT space. Um, What I think we'll, we'll start seeing grow around that is... Um, uh, is more digital art. we can consider that to be an area where there definitely has been product market fit and communities built around ownership of digital art. In fact, art I think has always been communal in that sense. Um, You're essentially buying into a community when you own a piece of art from a specific artist. Uh, You'll see game economies emerge where your token is your player and there'll be items that can be equipped, that can be owned, uh, and can be fused. Fusion is, is our system for uh, for trait swapping and composability. And so we're really excited about seeing these PFPs become much more than the profile photo. Uh, I do think we'll, we'll see uh, NFTs being used within uh, these D-PIN applications as well. Uh, and we saw that with, with Helium uh, moving over to Solana, where the NFTs can be a way of coordinating uh, these large networks and economies uh, uh, and information systems, and so I think that um, you know the you know is a is a node in in the helium network a PFP no, but it is somewhat an identity, and I and so I think that we're seeing kind of some of these trends um, that that maybe rhyme with PFPs, uh, but uh, I think will uh, will emerge to be much much more than that.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I it, it means. Solano truly kind of launched at a very interesting time where uh, Ethereum started to gain a lot of traction again. And then ultimately, uh, with its architecture decisions, I mean, resulted in quite high gas fees. And I think to your point, I mean, Solano was really there at an appropriate time. And those cheap fees, uh, ultimately, the tools that Metaplex created allowed that social fabrics to really uh, proliferate In Solana, Uh, And it it was amazing to see just how large that ecosystem really got and about people just kind of having fun and doing things on chain. And I think even for newer ecosystems, starting today, that's going to be very hard to replicate. Uh, Just like that fun, uh, building that social layer is much harder, I think, in some respects than just like purely uh, building some of the, the tech solutions. But To that point, I mean, you also uh, mentioned um, Helium uh, and some of the stuff that they're doing as well. Could you talk about, uh, I mean, specifically compression, because I I think that is very interesting um, in what you've recently launched and really allowing almost Web 2 or truly Web 2 scale at kind
0: of Web 3 numbers. Yeah, we're really excited about compression, and uh, it's also been really encouraging to see the ecosystem rally behind compression as, as a new primitive that will unlock use cases beyond, beyond the PFP or adjacent to the PFP or layered on top of the PFP. know, We're seeing Drip House use compression for these massive free airdrops of collectible art um, we're seeing Helium that's using it for Deepin infrastructure to coordinate these large information systems and networks. Uh, we're seeing Dialect use compressed NFTs uh, for sticker packs. And the data has been really encouraging. You know, We've had two and a half million uh, compressed NFTs minted from virtually zero at the beginning of March with a few thousand daily transfers. So these NFTs are being used and Uh, going back and forth between uh, different users uh, within the system.
1: And for Uh, those that don't know, can you just like give like a brief overview of what compression is and ultimately what it allows to do?
0: Absolutely. So compression is a new uh, format. It's a new approach for minting NFTs on the Solana blockchain that stores a cryptographic proof of the metadata uh, on chain and then uses the RPC to then serve that data to clients and applications uh, that are fetching the uh, the full information around the asset. And what that does is that it allows you to mint at a radically lower cost level because you're not using as, a mu- as much account space uh, as you would with a typical mint. Um, so, you know, where you have a mint using token metadata that would cost you, you know, twenty-five to to thirty cents on average. You're talking about fractions of a cent to mint a compressed NFT, and so that's allowing for these these massive use cases that weren't possible uh, before, um, which is really exciting. And like the long tail of experimentation has been really cool to see. Like we're waking up every day and we're seeing people tweeting and posting and like even running their own hackathons uh, with the the compressed uh, NFT program that we built. Uh and so um, you know, I while everything I've said before like may come with some conviction, like we've also been in the space long enough to be open to being surprised. And uh and I think that compression is is really opening up the creative space uh that will allow this next generation of entrepreneurs to really pull at uh the edges of the technology and, and challenge some of these assumptions as to what NFTs can and, and should be.
1: Yeah, truly. I mean, in even comparative to layer. Twos, uh, the numbers really speak for themselves and just how large of a scale you can get and how cheaply you can do it. And I, I think this is really one of the first true kind of web two numbers where you have like you can create 10 million, 100 million NFTs and you can distribute those and it's relatively cheap. Before that would cost millions or hundreds of millions of dollars to do and just not economically feasible to do on chain. So I this is super super interesting,
0: yeah, we're really excited. Uh, you know it's the, the history of, of compressed NFTs is interesting. I think I've seen some folks that were involved in the the early work start to tell tell this story a little bit more fully. Um, but uh, compression was was really built with Instagram in mind. Um, there was an opportunity to essentially allow free minting for all of the content that shows up on Instagram, and there was a threshold, basically a number that we believed if we could hit, that you would see um, this massive unlock of potential through these Web2 companies. And uh, I have to admit, I think when when Instagram decided to give up on Web3 after this massive rebrand and push around the metaverse, um, there was a bit of air that came out of the balloon where we were were sort of excited to see that opportunity really take shape. And for a major Web2 platform to integrate this technology, but now what we're seeing is that the technology is, is fundamentally important. And um, and in, over the history of, of, of technology and innovation, we've seen this over and over again, which is that if a Web2 company decides not to innovate themselves, uh, they will be disrupted from the outside. And uh, it's been really exciting to see the Solana community pick up the mantle and, and have the energy and courage to, to really dream big and think about fully disrupting the existing distributions for media and social networking. And that's really what we believe compression will become.
1: 100%. And to that, I think it's been interesting how different blockchains and different ecosystems have kind of approached some of these partnerships. Some of them kind of go for the kind of pay-to-play model where they incentivize others to come uh, build on their networks. Some kind of take the technology point of view Why, um, I guess to that, I mean, there was some partnerships with Instagram, uh, ultimately they decided to back out once the company changed. Could you maybe speak to like, what is your just like approach? Like, do you think the innovation in Metaplex like is going the innovation is truly going to come from these web two companies, or do you think it's going to kind of come from Web three and like, as you said, like innovate the incumbents or
0: like a mix of both? I would hope that it's a mix of both. <laughs> I can't say that I've been particularly encouraged with the, the m- m- like the movement and the progress on the web two side. Um, and, and, so we we have been spending most of our time with crypto native companies. And it may just be that it's too big of a technology transformation for these existing incumbents to sort of fundamentally reorganize and, and restructure their business models. Um, you know, I think we've seen some, some progress. Uh, Salesforce, uh, you have Nike. I think the content brands uh, seem to be more ready to adopt and experiment uh, in Web3. Uh, but the actual platform companies, I think, are are slow to recognize the real opportunity and ultimately that the threat that Web three represents to their business. So, you know, we actually in the very early days of Metaplex made a very uh, a very deliberate bet on independent artists, creators, and entrepreneurs because um, we understood that uh the the ethos of web3 is really about disruption like it it is that challenger mindset and that challenger energy and when you know other blockchains and platform companies were chasing these large brand deals we were politely excusing ourselves because we weren't going to pay them <laughs> to convince them to come build In our ecosystem and use the platform and that was really like the market rate and has been for the last couple years which is that if you wanted to get a big enterprise involved the expectation is that you're going to give them a massive token grant you're going to give them massive cash up front and you're going to completely de-risk for them and we took the other path and i think that's actually what makes solana really unique and when you kind of wind back the clock and look at where we are today i think that was clearly the right bet um, and while we hope that there will be a point at which that changes, we're not going out of our way to convince Web2 brands to come into Web3. We see enough amazing talent, excitement, energy and innovation um, at the the base layer with entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, and we really believe that like that that core motivation is the thing that drives product innovation. And so you can't really manufacture motivation. The best thing that you can do in in our view as a a platform and a a tool company is to identify the motivation. And then when it's there, unlock it as quickly as possible. And the reality is that the motivation within these Web2 companies really isn't there. They're mostly viewed as like, Experimental R and D initiatives, and like, yeah, maybe we if we get a grant and it's going to be break even, then we'll do it. But I don't think we've really seen like any bold, decisive action from a Web two company um, that uh, that is at the level of the excitement, the energy, and motivation, and talent that we're seeing organically uh, from new startups and independent creators.
1: Yeah, do you think? I guess the tipping of the scale, so to speak, will be just like the first large application that actually kind of hits a home run. Not that to say that the ones that exist today have not, but truly, I guess, maybe in the tens of millions or hundreds of millions of users, that will really catch uh, the eyeballs of these Web2 companies. Or I'm curious, like... what you think they're missing or they're just afraid to kind of experiment with?
0: So I I would say we haven't hit any home runs in crypto and Web3. I think we've been hitting singles, some doubles in some cases. But when you look at the data, like especially within the bear market, it's tens of thousands of daily active users. And so if you're comparing that to web to analogs, like we're still very much in the early adopter phase. And so I think that's important for us all to recognize um, that we've seen some success, but I think not enough success to say we're anywhere close to the mainstream adoption moment. There's still a lot of glass to chew. There's a lot of hard work uh, before we get to that point. Uh, And I do think that the pressure ultimately will come from the outside. And I think it will take a credible threat it will take something like what we're seeing now with um, these large language models and with Chat GPT, where you know, if you saw like the what happened with Chegg recently with their their latest earnings report, like it, it will take something like that where a publicly traded com- company is getting fundamentally disrupted from a business model perspective. I think for like the Fortune 500 to wake up to the true potential of Web 3, and ultimately, I believe that will happen. But I think that that will only happen once there is a credible threat, and and frankly, that it's been the, the the damage effectively has been done, or the disruption has already started. The one exception to that, and this is where you know that this is these are often the people that define um, the major epochs in technology development, is that I don't I don't rule out the possibility that a really bold CEO and entrepreneur can see the opportunity and push in a big bet. And I think that's what we thought and believed was going to happen with Meta, especially around their rebrand. But in my view, they they basically, they did the part of the metaverse, the, the wrong part of the metaverse first. It's like VR and AR, instead of actually like blockchain and bringing social networking on chain and making it censorship resistant, making it decentralized. And I think it's really unfortunate because, you know, there's often these debates in product development, which is like, is this a true MVP? I don't think they really shipped a true MVP. Like, I don't think just verifying that you own an NFT was a true test. And so, I, you know, I, I feel for, for for many of the people that worked inside of Meta during this period of time who really saw the vision and the opportunity, because I don't think they really gave themselves a, a real, you know, a, a real kind of a swing Uh, at what the potential could be uh, for this within an existing Web2 company. Will someone else step up to the plate? Will it be Twitter? Will it be someone else? I don't rule it out. Um, We haven't seen it yet. But I think that could be a major catalyst. But I think that only happens if we do the hard work within this core community and within our existing blue chips supporting those independent creators and artists. Like We should really be focusing all of our attention on helping that organic day one community succeed, because that is going to be the fundamental pressure that will ultimately cause these web two companies to move and move in a way that's actually aligned with the values of, of, of the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, um, well put. I, in, in, ultimately, I mean, the pie is very small. I don't think people truly... Re- Realize or kind of look at some of the analytics on how few people are actually using this. And I think it's the effort is much better put into actually growing the pie. And making the tools that you're making with compression, with the creator studio, much easier to use and be able to actually achieve the Web2 scale than focusing kind of on like bringing the knives out within like our specific communities. I guess today, going back to what you said on like really fostering the early community and the members that exist today, when people largely think about NFTs because of PFPs or just even art collections, the two I'd say more popular ecosystems today are Ethereum and Solana. To people that are ultimately on the fence and about which ecosystem to drop, do you have like any words of like trying to like sway them to build in one ecosystem or another? Uh,
0: so, So absolutely. I mean, I think as we talked about like the, like, the fundamental efficiency of the Solana blockchain uh, is is something that just is not available within the Ethereum ecosystem. And so if if there is a blockchain that will succeed long-term, it has to be able to onboard users uh, in a way that scales. And I think we've seen some of that with L2s, but the user experience of L2s is really clunky. Like I think that, um, it would be hard to uh, imagine um, onboarding someone into the Ethereum ecosystem uh, for an NFT, and then like trying to explain to them how L2s work and and bridging tokens back and forth, and um, you know what they need in order to to pull that off. Um, but at the same time, I would say that most of our messaging and the way that we speak to creators is really about highlighting the benefits of the Solana ecosystem. So. You know, the 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 no-code tools, the ability to to generate demand early, the ability to do these unique mint mechanics uh, where, you know, you can have uh, something like a candy machine with different types of, you know, tiered whitelists and burn to redeems and crafting and traits um, that you can do compressed NFTs, you can do airdrops at scale that are efficient, um, that you have this amazing ecosystem of services with, um, you know, borrowing and lending protocols and, marketplaces and i think that i think that positive message is ultimately the one that will win um and i think that's true both when we look at solana versus other chains but also within the solana community that like we we as a community need to be very careful about going into a scarcity mindset and punishing creators for uh, making a decision to go build in another ecosystem uh, or even to leave the salon ecosystem and go to another. I think that um, that ultimately that that sort of orientation uh, is just not positive for the space, and that I think in, in in general ends up being a headwind because it's like who wants to come join a party where you know you come in and everyone are having these like yeah. t- like these kind of mean spirited <laughs> like technical arguments of you know um, back and forth, and I, I really don't think that serves anyone any good. So. You know, we while while I think that like fundamentally we believe Solana is is the L1 that has the performance characteristics that are necessary for that mainstream adoption. Um, we're supportive and excited to see creators come into Web3 at all, whether that's Ethereum or in other spaces. And there's incredible talent and work um, that's uh, that's being done in these other communities. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, what we were talking about earlier, like you mentioned the staying power of community and these networks, that you really see that on Ethereum, like they have incredible communities, they have incredible creators, and like these technical kind of aspects are important, but they're they're not necessarily like the most important when someone is deciding, you know, what community they want to be a part of. They may actually be okay with, you know, paying higher gas um, if it gives them uh, a membership into a community that they really value Value ultimately.
1: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that or the day that I'm really looking forward to is when we can kind of stop having a lot of the technical nuance debates and start focusing on what actually is the customer facing experience. And I, I think to your point, I mean, ultimately, some of these because we were so early and we're trying to figure out some of these different scaling solutions, some can be a little bit more difficult than others. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter too much. It's ultimately the experience that the customer has. And maybe speaking to that, uh, could you share a little bit more, when we touched upon it initially, about the Creator Studio, the node code solution that you've created at Metaplex? Because, I, again, I, I think being able to give these tools into the hands of everyday people are really what is going to take us to the maxes. Uh, and not everybody in the world is engineers or should kind of understand like the technical nuances of blockchains. And I, I think this is an amazing step towards allowing the everyday person to be able to get involved in these different communities and do things on chain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The The creator studio in many ways is is like a, a, a key piece of the vision that we started uh, uh, Metaplex with, which is elevating creators above the influence and control of of gatekeepers. And uh, while Metaplex is now the largest protocol on Solana by uh, number of wallets, I think there have been a t- over 7 million wallets that have held a Metaplex uh, NFT at one point. Um, it is also a creator platform and was designed and built for creators. And so what we have now in Creator Studio is a reliable access point to the power of the protocol and to the power of uh, the Solana blockchain. And that means uh, no code access to open editions, limited editions, candy machines, uh, which uh, are used to create these generative communities, these profile photo communities, uh, air dropping tools customizable Mint pages, collection, and and metadata uh, tools uh, for administration. And then uh, we'll be going deeper into the community building uh, process, both before Mint, helping generate demand, and then the engagement and scaling of those communities uh, over time. And I think that what distinguishes Creator Studio from a launch pad is that anyone can sign up for Creator Studio. Uh, and they can immediately start uh, building their community. They can drop when they want. And it's really just them and it's their audience. There's there's no one sitting in between. And to us, that is fundamental to the Web3 vision is this idea that there is no one sitting in between uh, the creator uh, and the collector. Uh, and that ultimately, that's all coordinated in a peer-to-peer way on chain.
1: Amazing. Yeah, it's uh all the building blocks that ultimately allow people to again interact on chain because today it's very few and so these tools i think are really the stepping stones that are needed for mass adoption. And even on this, I mean, they're they're in all these ecosystems. We have many spats, but one of them kind of being uh, royalties. Uh, And that wasn't also specifically in the Solana community. I think other communities are also have or will go through this as well. Can you speak to some of the things that Metaplex specifically has been doing on like the programmability and uh, how that ultimately how that ultimately allows either
0: royalties to be enforced or kind of not enforced So we believe that royalties are fundamental to the incentive alignment between creators and collectors uh and that uh when uh marketplaces emerge to bypass uh royalties we really recognize that as as a fundamental threat to the long-term success of these creator communities on chain uh and while I think that um, that uh, ro- like there are I think reasonable points of view on, on this topic and, and differences of opinion that uh, we believe it's important for creators to have choice, and that's why we built programmable NFTs. Uh, and programmability is is a fundamental primitive that then allows for the on-chain enforcement of royalties, but we also think is going to unlock other use cases, um, uh, you know, as it relates to Uh, potentially managing assets that can only travel between KYC wallets or um, uh, maybe it's an item that you can only have because uh, you are part of an existing community or part of a game. And the concept is pretty simple. A A programmable NFT allows the creator to control how the NFT transfers on the blockchain between wallets and between programs. And so you can have allow lists, you can have deny lists. Like there's some, again, some reasonable debate on which one of those makes sense. Um, Deny lists ends up being more permissive uh, because uh, any program can interact with the asset without getting the approval of the creator. But um, allow lists are a stronger form of royalty enforcement. Uh, and, uh, And while we think many creators, and in fact, we've seen Almost hundred percent of new profile photo projects uh, using programmable NFTs. We don't think that that's for everyone, and we understand that some collectors will not want to purchase an NFT where the creator has that authority and that control over the asset. Uh, but I think it's it's interesting because in many ways, what we're seeing is this like this sort of it's almost like this sort of evolution of property rights on chain. Uh, you know, I think we we talk a lot about how NFTs have, are like, you have absolute ownership over your NFT. And that's actually not quite the case, right? Like ultimately the NFT is secured by the consensus of the network and the validators of the network. Um, And so there is sort of a trust assumption at that base layer. And then like in the real economy, like the, you know, the U S government, for instance, has the power of eminent domain. So if they wanted to like build a freeway through my house, they could just like come give me a check and then like bulldoze it. Uh, And I think what we see in NFT communities is this emergence of a much more of a communitarian type of property, right? And I think that's what we're seeing with programmable NFTs is that collectors are happy to give creators that additional control. If it helps that creator then grow in a positive some way, uh, the community that they're a part of. Uh, And And can you maybe
1: speak as well to just like how the whole like royalty kind of like debates like, came about for those that aren't even familiar with like why royalties became like a big topic and in many communities became
0: like a central point of discussion. For sure. So, and, and, and it's interesting because I think there were very different reactions to when all of this came to a head. So, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, when the Metaplex standard was first introduced, it was actually very innovative to include the royalty percentages within the metadata. You could have multiple creators. Those creators can have different royalty splits. You can have a different, you know, a configurable royalty amount and even just having that data within the NFT, which expresses the creator's intention. Um, was a meaningful step forward, and at the time, every marketplace application was happy to respect the intention of the creator, and so royalties were getting paid, and we're talking about you know millions of dollars in royalties that were flowing to creators that were helping sustain these projects uh, long term. And uh, when the market crashed, there I think was a was a was a big change in sentiment, and I think there like. And reasonably so. You have many people who bought NFTs at the peak of the market that were down bad, and then were going to sell their NFTs. And they were like, why should I be paying the creator more when I've already lost money? And you had then the emergence of Yaw, which was a marketplace that allowed for the trading of NFTs without respecting royalties. And they started to just just eat market share. And that caused other marketplaces to then react and go to optional royalties. And then I don't have the chart in front of me, but you've probably seen this. It's just like nosedive. Like royalties just just stopped going to, to creators. And then at that point, like we're getting on the phone and creators are panicking. They're like, you know, I don't know if I can keep investing in the project. I have people that I've hired. Like, what am I supposed to do? And then you have collectors who are like, oh, the creator's rugging. But then the creator's like, well, you just rugged me. And then it's like, you know, just all out chaos. And on the one hand, we have creators that are telling us, like, this is a bug, go fix it. (laughs) Like, why aren't my royalties coming through? MetaPlex, go do something about this. And then on the other hand, you have collectors, which is like, well, these are NFTs. I own the NFT. I get to decide what I do with it. And so if I want to pay royalties or not, then that's my decision to make ultimately. And I think the balance that we struck is that there is a place for NFTs that uh, inherit the base layer security of the L1, uh, but it is also important for these more communitarian NFTs, these programmable NFTs, uh, to allow for the enforcement of royalties. And what we've seen is the, the migration of all of uh, most of the major NFT collections to this new standard. And then every new major project in blue chip is really launching into programmable NFTs. And I think that's actually a really important differentiator that we should be marketing to creators. You know, you're talking about what's, you know, what's a good argument that we can make to a creator coming into the Solana ecosystem is that we have a royalty enforcement solution that is now ubiquitously accepted and recognized across all major marketplaces, um, which is really, I think, unique from where, um, where other ecosystems uh, find themselves today. And I think was an opportunity uh, that was largely uh, possible because of of the ubiquity of the Metaplex uh, protocol underpinning uh, the ecosystem.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely a little chaotic, but uh, it, it's amazing that the community has kind of pushed forward, found different solutions that worked. And I, I think Metaplex played a massive role in kind of creating that solution for the entire ecosystem. Um, No, it's been fascinating in terms. I think one thing that I also think about quite a bit as well is in the gaming front and respect that NFTs could possibly play on the gaming side. I think it's interesting that one good game could kind of double the entire kind of existing user base of web three today. Um, and so I'm very confident at some point in time that will actually happen, but can you speak to how you view gaming, um, NFTs and how they kind of coexist together and where you see that kind of industry going?
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think that I, I actually view the current communities and collections as as almost being games, in a sense, that they have game mechanics. I think it's actually more of sort of a sliding scale, where you see something like Klanosaurs, which really started as a, as a community and uh, a profile photo collection, but is now growing into a game. I think one of the other interesting things in, in games is that you're seeing the same tension uh, in, that uh, we were talking about earlier, where Uh, You have incumbent players and you have these early adopters. I think we've seen like a pretty strong allergic reaction from many in the gaming industry uh, around NFTs and them viewing NFTs as another way of monetizing, commercializing, extracting value from players. And so I think generally our view is that those big games are going to likely start as crypto native that they will build their communities organically from day one and that the early collectors and the early players will really be able to participate in the upside and the growth of that community over time and that those games will then become more fluid than the franchises that we see in traditional gaming where you have mini games and you have these metaverse experiences and anyone that's part of the game environment can extend and build on top of it. And so we're really bullish on gaming. I think that um it's going to be on a longer time uh time horizon than i think most people expect uh i think we're probably still you know a year or two out from those breakout uh franchises uh but i do think that out of out of all of the uh potential paths to mainstream adoption uh that gaming has to sit uh very high on that list
1: yeah the the potential just to bring in Uh, massive amounts of people on chain and kind of through a game that they just enjoy uh, seems very high. But as you said, I mean, it's been super interesting, even with um, I think Discord was trying to implement some like Web3 auth with like sign in on Ethereum or sign in with your Ethereum address. And everybody kind of had like a uh, repulsive uh, reaction to that, uh, just like any crypto thing, because as you said, I think gamers particularly have been kind of used to endless kind of extraction, whether that's in gained items or loot boxes. And so it is interesting that they've particularly kind of been a little bit more hands-off on the crypto space.
0: I think that's right. But the power of crypto is it's incentive alignment. And so I think that the successful web three games, will uh, will start small and they'll reward their early adopters and they'll align incentives in a way that when the game does scale into the mainstream, it's something that is coming from an organic community and not something that feels like it's, you know, from the, you know, the back office as like, you know, an MBA PowerPoint presentation on how to get another 5-10% of revenue on an existing franchise. And I think that should be really encouraging to game developers, especially independent game developers, which is that it will most likely be the new IP and the new franchises that ultimately seize on that opportunity because there will be these incumbent challenges for the existing games with their existing audiences. And this aversion to Web3 being layered on to an existing IP versus starting from the the base layer and and then working your way up.
1: Yep. Totally. Totally. I guess kind of coming to the close of the podcast, what are some like big things that you are excited for in 2023 and beyond? I think we've gone through a pretty crazy last couple of years since the inception of Metaplex and inception of Slana, <laughs> lots of, uh, very exciting events to say the least. Uh, but we've made a lot of progress. Um, so maybe speaking on to some of the things that you were excited that we've particularly progressed well on and then things that you were looking forward to in the 2023, 2024 timeframe.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So I think like I answered that question maybe in, in sort of a few different, Sort of lanes or a few different buckets so on the protocol side uh we are seeing i think the completion of programmable nfts there's still actually work to be done to finish programmable nfts and uh, bringing back royalties uh, into the ecosystem there's the further development of of compression and increasing the functionality of compressed nfts Uh, and then um you know we expect to see a number of new types of nfts that get introduced as well. So our fusion protocol, continuing to develop NFT composability uh, and trait swapping, Uh, and then we're really excited about new media types and new formats as well. And so building out a larger lexicon of different types of assets that are adjacent to complementary to these core um, identity tokens. Uh, in terms of uh, Creator Studio, uh, we're shipping our uh, airdrop tool this week. So creators will be able to airdrop uh, NFTs, uh, no code, uh, and that will be available. Um, we'll be opening up the product and taking it out of our early access period. So anyone can sign up and you can expect that over the next couple months. Um, we're really excited to be working with, uh, with MonkeyDAO on uh, OMC. Uh, and I'm sure Soul Legend is uh, is excited about that one uh, as well. Yeah, sure. And so we're going to be introducing a number of new mechanics that haven't been seen before in terms of uh, burn to redeem and uh, being able to uh, make the mint available to the Gen Two uh, holders, uh, and then. Um, You know, I think, as I mentioned before, we're going to be going much deeper into community building. So, the demand generation and community building process that happens up front, and then the engagement strategies and business models that come uh, post So. Uh, you know, I think expect much to come. I actually, I like pulled up our our roadmap, and there's like a long list of things that I think the team would probably be a little terrified if I just started rattling <laughs> rattling off. Go, um, go full
1: Elon and uh, start tweeting the yes, roadmap I, in public.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's going to happen next week, and we'll get the panicked panicked DMs from the team. Um, but expect <laughs> a lot a lot to come. Like, there's no no shortage of of vision or, or opportunity in terms of what can happen, uh, both on the protocol side and the application side. So um, you know, would encourage, encourage everyone to stay tuned. Uh, if you're a creator that has a drop uh, coming out and you're and you're looking for support, we would love to love to work with you, love to support with you. If you're a developer that's experimenting with programmable NFTs with compression, um, uh, uh, love to love to collaborate as well. Uh, and you know, you never know in crypto, right? The time dilation is is real. You wake up, you know, every morning and there's and there's something new. Uh and so, you know, also looking forward to being surprised as you know the, the incredible entrepreneurs in the Solana ecosystem uh are experimenting and, and pushing the vision forward themselves.
1: Beautifully put. Uh and one thing you mentioned there, I think it was called fusion uh with composability. Can you maybe just briefly speak to that? Because I'm a massive composability fan, and I think ultimately the things that composability enable uh are really just scratching the surface today. Uh, Could you speak to that briefly?
0: Absolutely. So, Fusion uh, is a system for for composability in NFTs, and uh, the the fundamental primitive is a program called uh, token owned escrow, uh, which lives inside of token metadata. And so, this is the ability for an NFT to own other NFTs. And then we have a system, a program called Trifle, which manages rule sets. So it allows you to establish essentially like validation rules in terms of what type of composability is allowed. And I think if you look at it from like a sort of a a fundamental primitive, this is like adding like class hierarchy or abstraction or something that's more object oriented to the way that we think about NFTs. So instead of NFTs just being like these singular objects, they're objects that can have complexity. And I think there are a number of really exciting use cases for that, especially within uh, gaming, where you can now equip your avatar uh, and upgrade your avatar with uh, traits that might impact how it performs in the game. It's like, oh, the strength meter is at like, you know, 90 instead of 70 because you you added a potion uh, or now it has a sword or a shield. Um, I think we also see that within uh, PFPs and just within the community building process, which is that you can have rare traits that are given as rewards. You can actually upgrade uh, your NFT and have dynamic rarity uh, where, you know, instead of the collection gets minted and like this is always going to be the most rare item in the NFT, you can actually have a dynamic rarity system where people are competing to become the most rare um, NFT in the collection. Uh, and so we've seen, I think, really exciting progress on fusion, both within the gaming sector and within uh, these on-chain uh, communities. But we do view it as like a, f- a fundamental primitive of digital assets. That's that's you know on the level of of you know uh, class hierarchy or or sort of a, an object oriented system.
1: I can imagine uh, the early PFP community uh, battling it out to try to get the rarest. Uh, NFT in the group. So uh, exciting future. Uh, I truly appreciate you coming on the podcast, Stephen. Appreciate you sharing all the different updates, uh, really with compression, with Creator Studio, um, all the things that you've been doing on the royalty side. Uh, It's not easy. And I appreciate that you doing the hard work to ultimately scale this uh, to everybody. And I, I think we're really... Early stages, but the work that you and the team are doing is pushing the entire industry forward. So,
0: uh, thank you again. Thanks, Logan. I appreciate that. And you know, we we wake up every morning incredibly grateful for the opportunity to support creators and developers and in, in the Solana ecosystem. And uh, it's very much uh, day one still at Metaplex. Uh, a lot of exciting work in in front of us uh, and in front of the entire community. And so. Um, looking forward to uh, to, to working uh, with you and, and with the rest of the community as we really uh, push and we show the world that um, NFTs and crypto and blockchain are are going to be a fundamental part of the information economy and, and modern uh, society. It's hard to you know sometimes to to see that in the depths of, of a bear market. The bear uh, but, markets are always rough our resolve has not, has not wavered at all. And, uh, we feel incredibly lucky to be a part of this story.
1: Well, thank you again, Steven. I really appreciate it and appreciate what Metaplex is doing. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Logan.